Corinthians 8, verses 3 through 5, God speaks to us in his word. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Savannah. Good morning. One more time. Good morning. All right. Now we're waking up. All right. Hey, if you haven't had the opportunity, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, uh, my name is Pat Robinson, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning, I will be sharing God's word with us. I'm uh, normally uh, the pastor over community groups and uh, community outreach, and uh, it is a joy to be able to uh, bring God's Word to you this morning. And I won't lie, I'm a little distracted, uh, so I need your prayers this morning. Uh, so I'll pray for you, if you'll pray for me, and we'll jump in. And Father, we, we need you. Uh, as we continue uh, to open your word, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would shape our hearts, soften our hearts so that they, they can be molded and so they, uh, they can be shaped and they can be transformed uh, to look like you. And uh, so, Father, just uh, we pray uh, for your movement, that you would speak through your word, and that your spirit would anoint those words and anoint those who hear it, uh, that, that it will touch them uh, how it needs to touch them. And, and Lord... Uh, I confess uh, that uh, uh, too many times I struggle uh, to live generously and, and uh, to follow after you and celebrate uh, in your good gifts. So, Lord, Lord, help us all grow this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, we are continuing uh, in our series today's on, on rhythms of grace, and today's rhythm is generosity. And, and hopefully, and prayerfully, uh, we can learn together uh, how God's generosity shapes our hearts, or how it should shape our heart, at least. And like I said, I, I will be very honest. Uh, generosity does not come naturally for me. Uh, I'm like the little kid at daycare, you know, no, mine. Uh, I, I don't always want to let go of the blessings I, I have. And, and so, uh, so probably a lot like some of you anyway, uh, I definitely am a work in progress and can, can stand to grow in this. And my hope today is not to talk a lot about money, but living generously. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, we want to live generously with all that we've been blessed with, which, but that also includes our money. Uh, and, and one of the reasons I don't want to talk a lot about it is because Zach did a really good job on it a couple of months ago uh, and, and talking and sharing with us on what it's like uh, to live generously uh, with our money. And, and so what I want to look at today is, is how God has called his people uh, from the beginning uh, to live generously and to care for those around and he still calls us to do that today. And so, uh, as we jump in this morning, of course, I'm going to start with tithing, since I said we're not going to talk about money. Uh, but, I, and I hope to look at it a little differently. And plus, then I get it out of the way. And so, uh, one of the things that I know I have missed uh, over the years is a celebrating tithing. Uh, I haven't always celebrated. I haven't always celebrated the good gifts that God has, has given me. And, and I've been blessed uh, uh, for, for some, because of God's grace is the only reason. Uh, from the time I was in high school till the time I retired, I had amazingly good jobs that for no reason I should have had them. Uh, uh, but God provided for me. And, and, uh, and I've grown over the years in sharing that. But I don't know that I've always grown in celebrating that. And, and recently just uh, reading through God's word uh, began to be convicted of how bad I had missed that. And how I need to grow in that. So I want to share some of that with you this morning. And uh, we're going to be all over the place in Scripture. Uh, from Genesis uh, all the way uh, to 2 Corinthians at least. Uh, and so we're going to be all over Scripture this morning. Uh, so if you're taking notes or following along, uh, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> So if you would, Deuteronomy 14, beginning in verse 22. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and of your firstborn of your herd and the flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money, bind up the money into your hand, and go to the place that the Lord chooses. And spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whatever your appetite craves and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household and all and you shall not neglect the Levite who is within the towns within your towns for he has no portion or inheritance with you 
at the end of every three years, you should, you should bring out the, all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Now, I had missed this for years. Uh, that as they take their tithe first to the sanctuary or to the tabernacle or to the temple, they go and have a tithe party. They eat of their grain, of their firstborn, of drink of their wine, and, and of their orchards they eat. And I missed that for years. Years and years. And, and what, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but it sounds like a Thanksgiving at my house. You know, everyone coming together, all their household, to celebrate the goodness of God. That's what God's calling you, to celebrate what he's blessed us with and giving back to him and not just them. Every third year, the year of tithing, instead of going to the sanctuary, they were to lay it up in their towns for the fatherless, uh, for, the, for the widow and for the poor, those who didn't have, and share that meal with them. God blesses us to bless others. All of his good gifts, we give back to him and share with others. And hopefully, that's all I say about money. But what about everyday living? In, your every, in our everyday lives, as we go through life, how do we live generously? How's God's people been called to live generously? Exodus 23, 4 and 5, and then 9 through 11. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under his burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. For six years you shall, you shall sow your land and gather its yield but in the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lay fallow, that the poor may eat what you leave, and what they leave, the beast of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and your olive orchard. Uh, God calls us uh, to share in our everyday life. And how do we care for others? How do we live generously? Even with those who are enemies, even with those who, are, who hate us. Uh, if we see them struggle, we're to care for them. And why? Why is it important to care for them? Because God cares for them. He cares that 
all are treated justly. He cares for the poor. He cares for the sojourner. He cares for, for the immigrant, the fatherless, and even, even the beast of the field. Tells them not to reap their whole field. Don't reap your whole vineyard. Don't reap your whole orchard. I leave it for the poor. And then in seven years, in the year of rest, when they weren't to plow or plant, whatever grows wild was for the poor and for the, for the animals. And we see that, we see that again in Leviticus 19. It says, when you harvest your land, you shall reap right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Likewise, Leviticus 23 states the same thing. Leave the edge of your fields for your poor. Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21 adds, also the fatherless and widow to that list. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheath in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olive trees, you shall not go back over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. God calls us to live generously with what he's blessed us with. All the gifts that he's given us, he calls us to live generously and bless others. It's not just for us. It's to honor him, the one who gave the good gift, and to share and care for those uh, who don't have. God calls his people to live generously, but he also calls and places individuals in situations uh, that they can pass on generosity. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you are probably familiar with the story of Joseph. And and I want to read a portion of that uh, in Genesis 45, 4 through 11. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me, you sold me here for you, because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in in these lands two years And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you from the remnant of the earth, to keep you alive, you and many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh 
and a Lord in his house and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry up, go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you and for there, and for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. God placed Joseph in Egypt in a time to care, not only care for his family, but to care for God's people. And, and in, if you read on in 46, you see that God promises Jacob uh, that if he goes down to Egypt, that God will be with him and he'll make them into a great nation in Egypt. And we're fairly familiar with the story. He does raise them up into a great nation, and later Moses leads them out of captivity. But it was all made possible by Joseph surrendering his heart and living generously with what God had blessed him with. See, he, he could have chosen uh, revenge, uh, I don't know how I'd feel if my brother sold me into slavery. I'm thinking it's not real generous. But Joseph surrendered his heart to God's will. And because his generosity to his family, God raised up his people. And God continues to call us to live generously today. The story's no different for us as a church today. Both corporately and individually, God has placed us. He's placed us together corporately as a church. As an individual, he's placed you wherever that is uh, and has placed people in your life uh, to live generously with. In Acts 2, 42, 47 through 47, we see the, the call to the early church and, and how they lived. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostle. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their home, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. To be the, the church that Jesus calls us to be, we must live generously with each other and with those that God places in our lives. 
And it's not always easy. It wasn't easy for the early church either. We're talking Jews and Gentiles now worshiping together. It caused conflict. We see it not far into Acts. But they chose to live generously with one another and to care for one another. And so what does that look like for this church? Well, if, if you're a guest here today, we're honored you're here, but we want to be truthful with you. We are not a perfect church. I'm not a perfect pastor. Ben's not a perfect pastor. None of our staff is perfect. And they're never going to be this side of heaven. But what we will be and what we will do is continue uh, to surrender to God and His Word and His Spirit and let Him shape our hearts and transform us and live accountable to one another. And that's, that's what we pledge to do. And for me, what that looks like is for us as a church, it begins with the scriptures where we started that Savannah read. Uh, and especially the last verse of that. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And the key is they first gave themselves uh, to the Lord. What does it look like For us to live, live a life of God-led generosity. Well, that begins with first giving ourselves to the Lord. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, this is not a commitment. It's a surrender. And when we surrender to our, our lives to the Lord, it uh, looks different than a commitment. A commitment we can back out of. When you surrender something, or you're giving something over, some control over to someone, or something else, you can't back out of it. You've turned all control over. So it begins with us surrendering our heart. And God-led generosity is about posturing our hearts to see, to receive and do God's goodwill. Psalm 51, 10 through 12. And hopefully I don't start singing this, Jordan. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your willing spirit. How do we posture our heart? God's word Prayer in, in His Holy Spirit shape our hearts to be formed. 
we spend time in God's Word. We cannot understand God's generosity towards us without being in His Word and knowing it. And we cannot stand against the world uh, either. Jesus' first defense when Satan tempted him in the desert was, was to quote Scripture. Matthew 4, 5 through 10. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. God's word is our first defense. It's a first against, against Satan. It's our first defense against the false narrative that we hear in our Western culture a lot uh, regarding true generosity. What does the world tell us today? Get yours, get all you can, <laughs> and get it now. But Christ modeled something different. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. <clears throat> For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. God's word shows us God's generosity and shapes our heart. Take time to pray. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. All, all throughout Scripture, the first thing people did before they, act, before they act is pray. Prayer leads to repentance. Prayer opens our heart to the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus often separated himself to pray. The last thing he did before he was rested was pray. We need to spend time alone in prayer with God. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, being full of, fully God and fully man, did nothing miraculous for the first 30 years of his life until the Holy Spirit descended on him at his baptism. He was still fully God in those previous 30 years, but he did nothing miraculous until his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descended on him at his baptism. And after that, 
numerous healing, raising the dead. We need to walk with uh, the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, he encourages us to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We need to spend time alone with the Spirit and listening to allow Him to shape our hearts. A heart fully surrendered looks for opportunities in every aspect of daily life. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed up the entire law when asked, what are the greatest command in these two commandments? Love God and love those who he places in your life. So how do we do that? Man, it begins closest to engage your family. Engage your family. Uh, I, your family might be perfect, mine's not. Uh, uh, some of them are challenging to engage. Engage your family. Engage your neighbor. Uh, and I, man, I, I almost feel bad preaching to a, this to a lot of you because I know how a lot of you engage your neighbor, engage your family, and engage your city. But I just want to remind us um, that where God continually challenges to do that and to gauge, engage everyone we encounter with the love that Jesus has placed within us. And yeah, sometimes though, that's not going to go well. Some people are not going to engage back. Some people are even going to be rude. But all we can do is control our own action and continue to love people with the love of God and, and we can resolve to pray for them and many many of you are probably going to leave here today and go eat engage whoever is your waiter or waitress uh, ask them how their day is it might be a bad day and they might need somebody to pray for them. I had a friend last week have surgery. And he goes in to do the pre-op. And the lady was a mess. And he just asked her, how's your day? Because he could tell it wasn't good. And she was like, it's a terrible day. My husband just filed four doors. Got an opportunity to share with her. And uh, so... Engage those that God places in your way. Even the ones we don't want to. Like I said, it's a challenge for me sometimes. I go to Walmart, I'm on a mission to get out of there. 
I'm not looking to engage people. That's not okay. I joke about it, but it's not okay. I need to grow in that. And finally, uh, to wrap up here, um, a life of God-led generosity is just like our walk as a Christian. It's a lifelong journey. Our growth in this area is dependent upon our willingness to surrender our hearts to God first. And for us, we have a perfect example in Jesus. Philippians, let me read Philippians 2, 1 through 11 to close. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be to grasp, but emptying himself by taking on human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on the bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ modeled what it is. The ultimate act of generosity in humbling himself and laying down his life for ours. Pray with me, please. Father, we, we do uh, we do need you. We need your spirit, we need your word, we need your presence uh, to continue to shape our hearts and, and and I do confess, I, I at times struggle. And Lord, I pray that you make my heart more generous. That I be aware of those in need around me. That you would open the eyes of my heart to see people as you see them. Lord, help us to live generously as you've always called your people to do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, stand. Uh, as we prepare for communion, I just stated that there's no greater act of generosity than the grace that's been poured out on us. 
And so as we come to remember that today, um, we break the bread that, that shows, that represents his broken body. And as we share in the, the juice or the wine, his blood that cleanses us and makes us whole, we remember uh, God's generosity in doing that. And, and that has to shape our heart. It has to shape our heart. So if you're uh, serving on table, if you would, uh, make your way down. And for those of you who believe in Jesus and have put him on in baptism as we come to take this meal, uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body. And likewise, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the blood of the New Testament. It's my blood that cleanses you and make you whole. Take and drink. As you're ready, come and take the meal.